so today we are going to be continuing on our series called Let the Light In, um, looking at practices of undivided devotion. So anyone who was here last week will know that Pete opened up this series, would really encourage you to have a listen because um, it's a great introductory talk. But I'd say the headline of the series is all about letting the light of Jesus into our hearts because we want to be people who know what it is to be transformed by Jesus, who know his voice, who know his presence and can see clearly what is going on in the world. And so that is what this series is all about. So we're going to be kicking off um, by looking at comparison, envy, and encouragement. Big topic today. But are you with me? Yeah, yeah you're with me. Okay, let's just pray to go off and then we're going to get started. So Jesus, we thank you that you, you are the great light. And we just pray in this moment that you would open up our hearts afresh to you. We thank you that you've been speaking to us throughout this time and we pray, Holy Spirit, would you continue? We pray that you would do what we cannot do. You would open up our hearts to receive what it is you have for us today. Yeah, come Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to take you back to December 1997. I was about to turn seven years old and it's Christmas. Um, Christmas is my favorite time of year. It's Christmas, obviously. Um, but it's also my birthday and it's a real time of celebration in our family. Um, but it was also the first time that I felt, I tasted the bitter taste of envy and comparison. Um, and so some of you, if you've been around um, for a little bit of time, you may have heard me tell this story before, but um, I'm going to tell it again, so go with me. <laughs> so um, it's Christmas and um, we're big on presents in my family. And so that particular year, we were all, me and my sisters, geared up to get bikes. We'd requested bikes from Santa Claus. And um, we were looking forward to receiving bikes for Christmas. And so Christmas Day rolls around. We go through our massive present opening ritual. Um, and lo and behold, my older sister Phoebe is presented with a brand new shiny bike. Um, and at that point, I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling excited. Unfortunately, I didn't get a bike that day. But you know what? I think because I felt like, you know, my birthday's around the corner. I'm sure I'm going to get my bike. I was able to feel happy for Phoebe and celebrate with her. Um, so it's my birthday on the 30th of December, but crucial thing to note is that it's my younger sister's birthday on Boxing Day. So Boxing Day rolls around and we go through the present opening ritual, obviously just focused on Rhoda this time. And lo and behold, Rhoda gets a brand new shiny bike for her birthday. Yeah, mm, indeed. Um, and so you know what? Day one, Christmas Day, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling expectant. Boxing Day, I am fuming. Genuinely, I got so upset. Every time Rhoda talked about her bike, all I felt was envy. And I lost all sense of perspective that maybe a bike would be round the corner for me. And I remember it so tangibly, this feeling of like, ugh, you've got something that I want. And that totally robbed me of the joy of those four days. Um, but anyway, 30th December rolls round, my birthday happens, and lo and behold, I finally get my bike for Christmas, praise God. But what I remember that time for actually isn't particularly the joy of the bike. It was that horrible, bitter feeling of envy and comparison. And let me not pretend that, you know, I tasted that when I was seven and never, ever felt it again. There have been many, many moments in my life since where 
because I've been looking at other people around me, I've tasted that bitter feeling of envy. Another such example, you know, using my sister again as an example, I remember when she called me up, she gave me this incredibly exciting news that she just got engaged. Woo! Like, so exciting. We're talking about the wedding, going to be a bridesmaid, all this stuff. And then, lo and behold, that ugly feeling of envy starts to creep up in my heart. Because what I'm thinking of, yes, you're getting married, but then I'm also, like, looking at her life and thinking, where's my husband? I'm not getting married. And it's that bitter feeling of comparison. And so hopefully, I'm not the only one in the room who's felt it before. You're also holy, looking at me like, wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> No, no, no. I think, I think the truth is, is that we have all experienced this in our lives. Where there's people, there is comparison. And we see it. We see it in the Gospels too. I am simultaneously encouraged and cringed um, so much when I read in the Gospels of the disciples and the way they seem to frequently have this conversation about who's the best. They're literally asking Jesus in this brazen way, which one of us is the best? And we see one such example of that in John chapter 21. It's this incredible moment when um, off the back of this really painful moment where Peter denies Jesus in this really public way just before he's about to be crucified. And then there's this moment when the resurrected Jesus comes to Peter on the beach. Um, it's known as the reinstatement of Peter and he recommissions him again, reminds him that he's forgiven. It's this amazing redemptive moment between Peter and Jesus. But this is what Peter says in verse 21 of that chapter. When Peter saw him, that's John. Oh, sorry, I'm reading the wrong bit. Sorry. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Then in verse 21, it says, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? He's in this precious moment with Jesus of being forgiven, of being reinstated. And it feels like Peter cannot physically or metaphorically take his eyes off, Peter, off John and what is happening to John. And the reality is that it feels like so often envy and comparison are so easily at the door of our hearts. And in a community like this, where um, there's many, very many different people, the reality is that it can so easily creep into our community, creep into our midst. And I was thinking about that actually culture really at the moment doesn't help us with this. I don't know, have we got any runners in the room? Just I, oh no, I and um, and a few others, sorry. Um, you might have heard of the app Strava. My friend was telling me about this recently, where literally you can see all your friends, how well they're doing on their runs, whether you're doing better or worse than them on their runs. Or Instagram, you know, they, we all know Instagram, where we can literally see how wonderful everyone's lives in when they're having a good time. And it feels like comparison is so easy for us to fall into. And I think because of that, it's very easy for us to kid ourselves that actually it isn't that big a deal. But scripture tells us something very different. In, in Proverbs 14 verse 30, we read, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Envy rots the bones. One translation says envy is the cancer of the bones. It's such stark language. And I think often we can, again, we can focus on our external behavior and can be more concerned with what's going on on the outside. But Jesus says it's the stuff of the heart that is the problem. He says in Matthew 7, verse 14 to 15, it's what comes from within you that defiles you. 
For from within, out of a person's heart comes evil thoughts, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. This is the stuff that Jesus wants to deal with in our lives. And I think the reality is, is that envy and comparison has such um, a disruptive and destructive um, part to play in our lives. And that's because it distorts our reality. But it also distorts our reality, our understanding of God. And going back to my bike example, if I had really grasped, if I really took hold of the fact that my parents loved me, they loved me just as much as they loved my sisters, I'd have been chilling for those four days between Boxing Day and my birthday. But the reality was, I wasn't thinking about that. And I think so often with comparison, with envy, essentially what we're buying into is this lie that God isn't enough, that God's love isn't enough for us. We were singing that incredible song earlier today, his love endures forever. But so often we don't, we don't live like that. Or that God's power isn't enough for us. It's this, it's this lie, it's this buying into of scarcity. And the reality is, is that scarcity makes humans move mad. We know it to be true. I don't know if you can cast your minds back, if you can bear to cast your mind back to the pandemic. And um, do you remember there was that seed planted of scarcity, that there wasn't enough food and there wasn't specifically enough toilet roll. <laughs> and I remember going to the supermarket just before the pandemic really hit and seeing people with their trolleys piled high with all kinds of things where they would make announcements saying that you can only buy one antibacterial material because people were literally trying to buy them everywhere. It was like this hoarding and this like, I've got to protect myself. And the, um, I'm sure we've all seen the memes, all seen the videos of people literally fighting for toilet roll, fighting for the basic essentials. But it's because of this lie that people have bought into that there wasn't enough, that there was scarcity. And the reality was there was enough food, there was enough toilet roll. But then as everyone started to move mad, that changed. And rather than being formed by the identity of a loving God and letting that shape our identity and shape our behavior, we can so easily do the same in our hearts, in our lives. We can so easily get into patterns of measuring ourselves up against other people. And while sometimes that can feel quite good, you know, like if you feel like you're doing better than those around you, that can feel quite good. But the reality is it's so fragile because so quickly comparison can creep in and you feel lesser, you feel like things aren't as good and suddenly your identity is shattered. And we see that in scripture. We see it in a very stark example of Saul and David, um, these, these warriors, um, both of them kings at different times. And in the story of Saul and David, um, there's, it tell, um, the book of Samuel tells us this story about this song that the women write that goes something like, you know, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. And this gets a hold of Saul and suddenly he becomes obsessed with destroying David. Suddenly David becomes his rival and all that he's doing is trying to pursue and destroy David. And you may, you may be listening to the thinking, thinking, Lois, that's so extreme. I'm never going to get to the point where I'm obsessed with trying to kill someone because I'm envious of them. But the truth is this stuff plays out in, just, in, in very disruptive ways in our everyday lives. I'll give you some everyday examples. 
So for example, maybe at work you have a colleague and you're both going up for a promotion and they get it. And suddenly this person becomes your nemesis. You want to um, bring them down. You don't want to encourage them. You want to take every opportunity you can to undermine them and make yourself feel better. And suddenly you're moving in a way that you have no idea how you've got there. Or maybe something we were talking about, our small groups earlier, our, our hubs. Maybe you're in a group where you just start to feel like everyone's just slightly more spiritual than you. Everyone's got better contributions to make than you. So suddenly you're not talking in the group, you're not bringing your contribution. And you're actually robbing that group of speaking what God has given you to share with them. And suddenly you're not living in freedom. Or maybe um, you get to the point where you're, um, you know, you're a parent um, and you hear stories of your friends talking about how their kids are sleeping really well and suddenly you can't be happy for them because your kids aren't sleeping well. And it's just like you, you realise that slowly but surely it's like you can't be happy for anyone else if you, if you deem that they're doing better than you. Or maybe you really like someone and suddenly they start dating someone else and you start to hate that person. Not because of anything they've done to you, but just because you're measuring and comparing. Suddenly, you're in this place of insecurity. Suddenly, you're being dictated to by envy and comparison. Suddenly, you're not free. But the truth is, thanks be to God that the gospel has the power to bring freedom to every single aspect of our lives. And the light of Jesus has the ability to help us to move from a place of insecurity to a place of freedom. That is the truth of the gospel. And the gospel teaches us what God is truly like. We, as, as I said, we were singing that song, his love endures forever. God's love is without limit for us. It is so abundant. It is so overwhelming. We read in Romans 8 verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? We read in Romans 8.31 that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And when we get hold of that, when the gospel gets a hold of our hearts, it kicks this mindset of scarcity to the curb because it's wholly inconsistent with the truth of who God is. And what about his power? The gospel also teaches us that the power of God is without limit. There's nothing in all of creation that can stand against the power of God. We see that. We see that in the cross. We see that in the resurrection. As Damalola shared with us today, Jesus is the only one who defeated death. But Jesus did defeat death. He is able to stand against even death. That's power. That is power. And again, that kicks scarcity to the curb. But even more than that, the gospel gives us a new identity. It tells us that we are forgiven that we're free, we're wiped clean of all of our sin, and we're set free from the need to find our identity in anything other than the love of God. We become the children of God, and that is our place of security. That is our place of identity. And rather than looking around a room like this and seeing people as your rivals, the gospel teaches us that we are family and in the power of the Spirit, we are able to live in a different way, in a way that is consistent with that identity as being God's children. 
And I know that sometimes the language of family can be challenging for something like this, because even both my examples earlier, they're with, to do with my family, and that's comparison. And I know that we, we know that family right now, as we experience it, isn't the perfection of what it will be when, when the Lord completes, um, completes his work in us. We do live in the now and the not yet. But the gospel does give us the ability to transform even those broken relationships. So, for example, with me and my sister, when that was going on, when I was feeling this sense of envy towards her, we had to have really painful conversation, but to talk through what was going on for both of us. It was this moment of almost like confession. And then from that place, we were able to move forward. And the gospel does that for us. We're able to confess our sins. And we know that Jesus is faithful and he is able to forgive us. And from that place, we are able to move forward. So if we want freedom in this area, if we don't want to be captivated, captive, held captive by envy, that is available to us. And we can let the light in. We can hear the voice of our Father who tells us who we truly are, who tells us who he truly is. We see that screaming in the gospel, how much he loves us, how powerful he is, how he wants to give us security in his family. And that is a grounding and securing thing for us and can remove the grip of envy from our hearts. And even though this is a work of grace, we know that we get to live this stuff out. We get to do things. We get to live in the fruit of it and do different practices um, in order to enjoy, as Pete said yes, uh, last week, enjoy um, the grace that God has given us. And so in Scripture, we read an example, one particular example, um, of what Jesus says to his disciples when they start kind of getting again into this kind of measuring behavior. And so we're just going to look at that briefly and what it looks like us, what it looks like for us to live this stuff out. And so Matthew 10 verse 14, it's taken from there. Um, and what we see, this is off the back of a discussion between Peter, uh, James and John, who are brothers. And they essentially say to Jesus, Jesus, when you come into glory, I want to be on your left and I want to be on your right. Basically saying we want the best positions as the disciples. And the other 10 disciples hear this and obviously they're really annoyed. Um, and Jesus speaks directly into this situation and he says this in verse 41. Um, from verse 31, it says, When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so if I was going to paraphrase what Jesus was saying, it was that you're not like everyone else. You've been given a different identity. You've been given a different story. You get to live under the affirmation of your father. And therefore, from that place, you get the privilege of serving those around you. And what I find really interesting about what Jesus says is he acknowledges their desire to be great. He acknowledges that's what's going on in their heart. But it's almost like he's saying, you're thinking too small. I want to tell you what true greatness is. And that's about service. It's about not seeing everyone around you as your rival, but seeing everyone around you as those that you can serve. And so practically what this looks like for us is exercising, practicing encouragement. And um, what, I was, what I've been thinking about over the last few weeks I've been thinking about this is the fact that encouragement is absolutely a team 
member mindset. Encouragement is a team sport. So if I was going to attribute a sport to envy and comparison, it would probably be athletics. You know, you're in your one lane, and in order for you to win, everyone else has to lose. But if I was going to attribute a sport to, uh, to encouragement, it would probably be something like football, in that you're a part of a team, and that team is not, those people in your team are not your rivals. And if they win, you win. And um, Thierry Henry said something recently, I haven't actually got it on my notes, but it should come up on the screen, which I thought was really interesting. He said, for me, there's nothing more beautiful than you making the assist when you can score a goal. You know you have the quality to score, but you give the ball, you share. The joy you see it in the guy's eyes, you know, he knows, everyone knows. And um, it's what I find really fascinating about this is, I think if I was going to have my own worldly wisdom on this topic, I would probably say, you know, if, to get over it, um, comparison, to get over envy, just kind of fixate on yourself. Just don't bother yourself with what other people are doing. Focus on what you're doing and kind of get on with your own thing. But this isn't what Jesus is calling us to. Because the gospel is so much better, it transforms us, and we get to be transformed by it. So rather than thinking, you know, I've just got to focus on myself, or as one of my friends showed me this, this rap recently, I won't rap it to you, but it had these words in it. I can't, I actually can't. I don't remember the beat, so, you know. Okay, let me, let me give it a go. I'm just going to make it up. Too busy eating my own fruit to check if yours is sweet. Too busy watering my own grass to check if yours is greener. There we go. We call that too busy. But yeah, rather than, rather than focusing just on your own self, the gospel presents us with something new. That we get to live under the affirmation of our Father. We get to practice encouragement and we get to serve one another. We get to see each other as teammates. And so the thing is with encouragement is that you see the other person. But you don't see them as your rival. You see them as your teammate. A win for you is a win for me. And um, what I've been thinking about over the last few weeks well, is that maybe this thing of envy in comparison is so universal in our hearts because actually we are meant to be captivated by those around with us. We are meant to be thinking what's going on for them, but not for the purpose of serving ourselves, but for the purpose of serving them. And um, any tennis fans in the room, probably not even tennis fans, will know that Serena Williams recently retired um, from tennis. Um, I think she's probably one of the greatest sports people who's ever lived. She's amazing. And she is the epitome to me of what it is to be a champion. And she said this thing which I found so profound that I wanted to share with you, which is essentially um, in one of her sort of farewell speeches, um, is that there is no Serena Williams without Venus Williams. And what she was essentially saying was, I wouldn't be able to be here without my sister. And what really struck me about this is, obviously, Venus is an incredible tennis player. And there probably, over time, has been a, an amount of healthy competition between the two of them. But when Serena looks back over her career, she sees her sister, who primarily wasn't her rival or someone who was trying to do better than her, but it's the key to her success, is the key to who she's able to be as a champion. And to me, that just completely encapsulates what encouragement is. We get to live as those who are in a team. We get to do this journey of life together. And we have a complete U-turn of the goal. A win for you is a win for me. So you being 
drawn closer to Jesus, you going after what his purposes are for your life, that's a win for you. That's a win for me if I can encourage you in that. And it's almost like primarily in order for us to live free in this stuff, in order for us to let the light in, we have to listen to the voice of the Father. That's the only thing that's going to define our identity. But then on top of that, we get the joy of almost echoing the voice of the Father, of encouraging those around us to remember who they are, to remember what God has called them to be, which is an incredible joy. And I just wanted to share with you um, a live um, example. I saw an incredibly, incredibly powerful example of encouragement that I saw, which I found so profound. So last year, as part of a leadership course um, that I was on, we had to do this thing where we basically had to present a leadership problem, something that we were struggling with. And we sat in the middle of a group of four people, and we had a person in front of us, a person to the left and right, and a person behind us. And so as we presented our problem, it was the task of those around us to speak in and essentially help us with this problem we were facing. But each person kind of did it in a different voice. And so the person in front of us was speaking as the elder. And essentially their task was to bring um, a sense of direction to the problem that we were facing um, and sort of encourage us to keep moving forward with it. The person to our left was speaking to us as a lover, so it was their job to sort of speak affirmation over us, just remind us that we were loved and who we were. The person to our right was actually bringing a voice of challenge. So maybe if wrapped up in our problem there was any lie or any misunderstanding that um, was being presented, they would kind of speak into that. And then the person behind us was speaking as the prophet. Um, And it was their job to kind of help us to frame the problem in a different way, maybe think about it in a way that we um, hadn't already thought of before. And it was honestly probably one of the most profound experiences that I had, both being in the middle of presenting the problem, but also speaking into those lives of those around me. And to me, that was such a good summary of what encouragement can be. And to, to think about, as we see those around us, to think about what voice do they need to hear in this moment? Do they need direction? Do they need to like, keep moving forward? Do they need to be affirmed? Do they need to know how loved they are? Do they need to maybe be challenged? Are they believing lies about themselves that maybe we can speak truth into? Or maybe do they need to reframe what they're thinking about in a new way? And that's the power of encouragement. We all left that session literally feeling like 10 feet tall, felt like we could take on those problems. And that's the gift that God gives us with this gift of encouragement. And so um, just, I'd love to encourage you to respond now. I've done a lot of talking. Um, but ultimately, what this is about, what this series about, is about is letting the light in. And in this, in this area, what we need is to hear the voice of our Father.